Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at Coastline Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good morning. It's week number two in our series, as Pastor Chris said, and unexpected love story. We're looking at the book of Ruth, and so um, I'll catch you up on where we've been. If you missed last week, just give you a little reminder in a minute, but I want to tell you that this message is entitled Searching for Love, and this has been a series that we've, that we've decided to talk about relationships, and so today we'll talk, it's family day, we're going to talk about marriage. okay? We'll talk about... Did anybody catch that? Marriage? Yeah? Okay, thanks. I was hoping for a laugh. Um, and so if you're a committed follower of Jesus and you hope to marry, or if you want to have a, a good marriage, you want to have a solid marriage, um, you may find yourself in a tough spot because culture's complicated right now. How is it that you meet somebody, date somebody, marry somebody in a way that honors God in today's culture? That's quite complicated. In fact, let me share a couple of uh, statistics with you because for the first time in our lifetime, more adults are single than they are married, if you can believe that. There's more single people um, in the world than there are married adults, and that's very interesting. Over the last 50 years, what we've seen is marriage rates in the U.S. Couldn't find a Canadian stat, sorry folks, but in the U.S. have dropped nearly 60% in the last 50 years. Can you believe that? Marriage rates have dropped 60% in the last 50 years. 63% of men under the age of 30 are choosing to be single, choosing not to get married. There may be a number of factors in that, let's be honest. It could be that they um, are just not marrying yet. They're marrying later in the life. We're talking about those under 30. Some would say that they're not going to get married because it seems like a big hassle. Others are saying that going on a date feels like a job interview and they're just not interested, right? And um, others are saying, I just like my freedom. I just want to keep my freedom. It's interesting with all of this data on singleness that we're choosing to do a a series on relationships and marriage. Um, The reason why we're doing this is because many, if, if not most people, are looking for a meaningful relationship with someone that they could love for a lifetime. And so whether you are single or you are married, um, whether you're single and you want to be or single and you don't want to be, there's values that we want to share from God's word that will touch your life, I believe, even today. But let me say this. We're doing a, a series on relationships, and on March the 10th, we are going to be talking about singleness. I want to talk about singleness, the value of singleness, the place for it in the Christian church, how we should view singleness, and some of the challenges around being single. And so we're going to, we're going to talk all about that on March the 10th. And I think that's only fair in the midst of the series, but also it's been on my heart a long time because uh, the church in general, the capital C church, has viewed people differently married or single. And I think there's been some pressure that's been applied in specific areas that may not be healthy. And I think this is a new season where we can reflect and we can create healthy places for married people and single people. Amen? Amen. All right. So... That's on March the 10th. Let me tell you something about March the 10th. March the 10th is going to be a great Sunday. It's also Daylight Savings Sunday, which means that people who plan to go to the 9 o'clock service show up at 10 o'clock and stay for the 11. So if you want to avoid the press, I want to encourage you, go to the 9. There's another challenge. Are you ready for this? 
The other challenge is West Shore does not have their facilities, so we've invited our West Shore campus to join us. That's another 400 people. So may God help us all on March the 10th. Please don't stay home and watch online. Come, because we're going to have a good time together. Want you here. But the 9 o'clock service is just so awesome. It really is awesome. Anyway, so here's what I see. What I see through these stats and um, through other stats like 77% of millennials choosing just to live with their partner rather than marrying them, what I see is people are delaying and avoiding marriage. And this is interesting um, because I do believe people still want a meaningful relationship. One of the other things is the optics of marriage where 50% end in divorce and the other 48% struggle. And so it's hard to create an image for some of us. And so what I would suggest is that something isn't working. We need a new way of looking at marriage. And I'm not going to necessarily say that today's message is that new way, but today's message is an ancient, ancient storyline that will give us places and clues to start to see the qualities that we might be looking for in someone who could be a partner to us. Or if we are someone's partner already, if we already have a spouse, then really it's a way for us to just kind of sure up our commitment to them by living with certain qualities. So, you know, if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always gotten. You've heard that before. And if marriage isn't working, we need some new ways of looking at it. And so now let me take you into a review. Last week, we opened up the book of Ruth and we looked at chapter one. Chapter one is a tough, tough storyline. It's a story about um, a family of four who lived in Bethlehem and then there was a famine in Bethlehem so they moved to Moab in order to um, escape the famine but the problem is Moab was a place that God told his people never to live. There's a storyline about Moab. They were conceived in evil ways. They sacrificed their children to the um, false god Chemosh and God called Moab his wash basin where he was going to wash his feet. Don't go there. Don't have anything to do with that land, okay, because it's polluted. But dad decides to move to Moab because he's concerned. There's a famine. He wants to save his family. And in the process of that move and establishing their lives, the father and the two sons both die. That is chapter one. Now, while in Moab, the two sons, before they died, married. They married Moabite women, which was a challenge as well. But with these two Moabite women, one chooses to go back to her people, and the other, her name is Ruth, chooses to go with Naomi, her mother-in-law, back to Bethlehem. And Ruth says this in verse 16 of chapter 1, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She made a choice. I choose Naomi, I choose the God of Israel, and I choose Bethlehem. She left Moab and went to Bethlehem. But when they arrive, they're homeless, they're hopeless, and they're hurting. It's a really tough time. That's where chapter one comes to an end. And so uh, here we are. When I read this story, which I've been doing over and over again the last couple of weeks, when I read this story, chapter one finishes on a single page, and I literally physically have to turn the page in order to go to chapter two. And I think there's something significant about that for us today. And here's my thought. I think God wants to turn a page for you. I believe that. 
I believe that God wants to turn a page for you. He wants to move you from chapter one. Some of you have been in chapter one a long time. It's been hard. It's been difficult. It's been painful. You've had hurt. You've had uh, disappointment. You've had brokenness. You've had loss. And you've felt like you've lived in chapter one a long time. But today is chapter two day. We're going to turn the page. God is turning the page, and it's going to be a new day of discovery. So we're looking into chapter 2 today, and what we learn is, just like Ruth, she left Moab and went to Bethlehem. When you turn away from Moab, representing the past, you'll find God's blessings in Bethlehem, representing the future. God has a blessing for you. I believe that. I really do. And so let's read now into chapter one and let's learn from Ruth chapter one. We're gonna read from like one to verse 14 basically today. Here's what it says in verse one. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband who passed away, Ruth's father-in-law, whose name was Boaz. Boaz. Remember what we learned last week about names? You name a child in, in you know, scripture times. You would name a child based on what you wanted them to become, or you named them based on what you saw when you looked at them. And so last week we learned that, um, that Naomi's two sons were named sick and tired, right? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but Boaz, that's a whole different name because Boaz actually means strong. It means strong. It means a strong man. So it's not like, you know, tight-fitting T-shirt with muscles bulging. It's an internal strength. This, this verse talks about him being a man of standing. A man of standing. That was significant. There was an internal strength. There was an internal integrity and character in his life. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of property. He was a man of good standing in the community. When he spoke, people listened. He was a man of standing. And let me say just a word to the ladies. I'm telling you right now, you want a man of standing because a man of standing is way better than a man of sitting. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you want a man who stands. Now let me tell you, I'll tell you just a, give you a little piece of history. See, you know, <laughs> from the very beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis and you read the Genesis story, you'll see Adam and Eve in the garden together. And then, of course, enters sin. The, the, the serpent comes to tempt them and tells them about the fruit, and they know they're not supposed to eat from it. And the exchange there is important because it represents this difference between being a man of standing and a man of sitting. Because, but since the beginning, from the very first original sin, if you will, man's original sin was that he stood by passively, he sat down, and he watched Eve step into that temptation. He used her as the guinea pig. God said, if you eat that fruit, you'll die. So why don't you eat it first and let's see what happens. And so he stood there and watched her. She ate it. She didn't seem to die. And so he ate it as well. And so man's original sin is passivity, complacency. And friends, that plagues men still today. But I believe that the Bible is calling us men to stand up, to be men of standing, not men of sitting. Can I get an amen from the ladies in the house? In the first service, literally someone screamed that out. I never even got to the ladies say amen. Just some woman in the back going, amen. I was like. Anyway. 
Let's read on. The storyline continues. Verse 2, it says, And Ruth, the Moabite, it continues to call her the Moabite, which emphasizes the fact that she was an outsider, someone who didn't belong. She was in a place that was foreign to her, and they kind of treated her as foreign. The, uh, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, this is a, another scriptural principle all the way back from Leviticus 19, that when it's harvest time and you harvest your field, you don't go back over it a second time to pick up anything that you left behind. You leave that for those who are poor, those who are widows, those who are outcasts. It was God's way of doing welfare. There were no soup kitchens, you know, there were no food banks, but this was the way that God provided within the nature of the law for those who didn't have anything. And so this was a custom. So you could go behind and anything that was left, you could clean it up. You could pick it up. It was good for the field. It was also good for the poor. And so now we get to verse three. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, can you say that? As it happened. This is a just so happens kind of moment. It just so happens. It's, I want you to know God's winking at us here, kind of like, watch this. It just so happens, uh, you know, as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. There's a little wink here in the scripture for us. This just so happened, she just so happened to come across Boaz, the man of standing. You see, the book of Ruth has no miracles in it. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no voice from heaven. There's no raising of the dead or burning bush or water into wine. There's none of that here. There's no supernatural miracles, but there's supernatural providence all over the book. And this is an important concept for us, friends. Do you understand what providence is? The providence of God is this. When God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural plans. Let me say that again. The providence of God is when God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural plans. And so although this is very normal, we're going to read all these verses and you're going to say these are super normal verses. They're all just like normal life, normal conversation. Remember we said last week that 55 of the 80 verses in this book are dialogue. It's just normal. But in the midst of this normal, the, the great providence of God is at work. And that's the same in your life. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to go to school tomorrow. You're going to live your normal life. But listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the providence of God. God's directing you. God's leading you. And God has a plan. And tomorrow, even though it's normal, can be extraordinary in the supernatural providence of God. That's the wonderful life that we get to live and to be a part of. We are people in the providence of God. And the providence of God shows up all through the scripture. But maybe you know this New Testament verse from Romans 8.28. In Romans 8.28, it says that God works all things for our good according to his purpose. And so when you think about that, that's the providence of God. God working things for our good in the middle of normal life. 
Now, I told you this was a, if this was a movie genre, I told you last week, it would be a rom-com without the calm. There's no comedy in it. It's kind of a pride and prejudice sort of um, notebooky kind of movie line. But I want you to also know that in a rom-com or in a romantic drama, there's always a plot twist. And we just had the plot twist, and yet we missed it. So we're going to have to focus on it for just a minute. The plot twist is the handsome hero named Boaz who just entered the storyline. You've got Ruth, the outcast. She's got no hope. Her best day is to pick up a few scraps of grain behind the gleaners. That's her best hope. Her best moment is a meal today with Naomi and yet enters the hero. As it happened, it just so happens. It just so happens that she came across the man of standing whose name was Boaz. Why did it just happen? Why did it just happen? It just happened because Naomi was praying. Naomi was praying. In fact, it says in chapter one, may the Lord show you kindness. And her prayer here is that the Lord would show kindness to Ruth. The only kindness that would rescue her would be a husband. And so she was praying, may the Lord give you a man. Is there any mothers out there that have been praying for their daughters? May the Lord give you a man. Don't raise your hand because your daughter might be here and she would be so embarrassed if you did that. So I want to take you now to another verse, verse four. And we're going to see, we're going to see this hero enter. But before we do, let me just say one thing. Sorry, media team. Just let me say one thing. There's something about a praying parent. There's something about a praying person. Let me tell you right now, if you're praying, God listens and God cares. That may have been why you came to church today to hear that. Maybe you've actually been saying, God, are you even hearing me? Do you even care? I'm here to tell you, God hears you and he cares. He's listening. And when you pray, the just so happens of God begins to happen. It starts to show up when you pray. You can pray for your future spouse. Parents, you can pray for your kids' spouses. Parents, I just want you to know that you can pray the right one in and you can pray the wrong person they're dating out. So get praying, okay? Get praying. There's something powerful about prayer. When prayer begins, God starts working. The just so happens of God. He's listening and he cares. And so Ruth is just working. She's working and Naomi is praying. She's just doing the normal. And she just so happens to meet Boaz, the man of standing. So here we are in verse four. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters responded. This exchange represents a God-fearing faith that existed in the workplace. They're saying, we're, we're followers of Yahweh, and may Yahweh bless you. We're followers of Yahweh, and may Yahweh be with you. This may have been a common Hebrew greeting at the time, and yet it indicates something, that Boaz was a man of faith. He was a man of faith. He was a working man. He was a man of standing. He was a man of faith. And ladies, you're looking for a man of standing. Let me tell you, you're looking for a person who will lead you, who lead with positivity, lead with kindness. And may one of the first things you hear out of his mouth be something about the Lord. 
May that be important to him. That's the man you're looking for. May you hear about God often and early because that is a, a, a person to take note of. May, you, may he speak of God first and may he speak of God most. You see, Boaz was not a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a pastor. So what was his ministry? His ministry was his mission field. It was his work. His work was his ministry. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to be in full-time ministry. Amen? You don't have to be in full-time ministry to be in full-time ministry. God has a plan. And while serving God, Boaz just so happened to notice Ruth. Well, isn't that nice? This, could be, this would be a good moment in the movie. He notices her. I can see it now. The screen pans out. There she is working in the field. Cut to Boaz. Face change. Can you see it? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that he noticed her. Because, let's be honest, her online profile was not looking very good. You know what I'm saying? Yikes. She's a Moabite. She's from the wrong people group. Conceived in a sinful way. She's worshiping the wrong God. She's, she's, you know, not supposed to be connected with Israel at all. She's a widow, which means she's not a virgin. She's homeless. She's destitute. She came with a grumpy and bitter mother-in-law. Right? It wasn't looking so good for her. Her online profile wasn't that great. But here's the thing. She had a complicated past, but she wasn't going to let her past define her future. And I want to tell you, you might be sitting here saying, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to talk about my online dating profile. That's fine. And you, but you may be sitting here today saying, man, my past is dictating my future. And I want to let you know that if God called me to say anything to you today, it's to tell you, don't let your past talk you out of God's plan for your future. He has one. He has one. He's got a plan for your future. He's got good things coming your way. You're turning the page. This is chapter two stuff we're into now. Let's read verse five. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who's that young woman over there? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. You know, he's like, what she, who does she belong to? There's a woman there. She's young. She's attractive. Boaz is curious. What is she doing over there on her own in the field? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since. So from Boaz's vantage point, he would have known that Naomi returned. He would have known that Naomi came with a Moabite woman. He wouldn't have known the storyline. He's never laid eyes on her. But this would have been common knowledge in the small community of Bethlehem where he is a man of standing. If stuff is going on, the man of standing knows. And so he knew the storyline, and now he's putting the pieces together. And I love that even from this distance, there are qualities that Boaz notices in Ruth. And I want to share them with you. First one is that he notices she's faithful to God, that she left Moab and she came to Israel to worship the true God. Maybe the word of what she said in verse 16 has reached Boaz's ears, that she said, your God will be my God, your people, my people. He notices that she's faithful to God. 
He notices that she's loyal to family, that at great cost to her, she could have stayed in Moab and did whatever the Moabites do, but she said, no, I'm going to choose to be a widow with my mother-in-law. I'm going to support her. I'm going to be with her. I'm going to stay when, when, not, I almost said Oprah, when Orpah goes, I'm going to stay. He also notices that she's hardworking. She takes initiative. She works in the field all day. And one thing that you might not think of that I want to share with you is that he honors, he's honored by her choice to honor God morally. Because if you're a young widow, destitute in a foreign land, really your only hope is to sell your body while you can. And yet she has chosen to glean rather than to do that. And so Boaz would have taken note of all of this. He would have been looking at her. And now verse 8 says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. You see, Boaz shows himself to be a man of integrity. He knows that Ruth chose to come back with Naomi, and he honors her in this moment. He honors her for the honor that she has shown. And he says, you're safe here. He offers her protection. He says, you're going to be safe here. No one's going to harm you. You see, she's very vulnerable. She could be mistreated. She could be taken advantage of. But he says, stay here, and you'll be safe. I'm going to protect you. He cares for her needs. Have some water. And in verse 12, we learn that he even prays a blessing over her. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's saying to her, good choice. Good choice. You made a good decision. I'm honoring the decision that you made. Good choice. And that choice, may it lead you into great blessing. So imagine being Ruth in this situation, hey? Imagine. You've come. You, you, you have no expectation. You don't know what's going on. You're just there trying to put a, a few pieces of grain together so that you could make some flour and have some bread that night before you go to sleep. That's as far as it goes. And all of a sudden, you meet Boaz. And he speaks to you this way. You see him as a man of standing. You, you, you see him in, in, in his leadership amongst the, the workers. He gives direction and instruction. And not only that, he comes to you with great kindness. Can you imagine how Ruth must have felt at that moment. What an incredible image. You see, Boaz is a Christ-like character in this storyline. In his character, in his life, it, 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 it's emblematic of Jesus. It's emblematic of God's love and care for us. This Boaz character is so beautiful. And there are qualities that Ruth would have noticed in Boaz. I'll give you a few of them. She felt honored. He honored her. And, and you know, I'm just going to say, in a culture where everything is about, you know, pointing out the weaknesses and the faults of others and exploiting people's mistakes and, and canceling people who do something that we don't like, to be a person of honor sets you apart. And, and we have desired to create a culture of honor in our house here as a church family where we honor each other. And I love that Boaz, one of the things that Ruth would have noticed about him was the way that he honored her. And I want to say in relationship between male and female, may there be great honor 
May there be great honor. Second thing is we could say he, he actually does protect her. And there's times about um, being a, a, a woman in an ancient culture, and even today, where it just feels a little inequitable, and you need somebody who's going to say, I've got you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to make sure that you're looked after. I'm going to protect you in the midst of, of this other place. And like husbands, that's what you're doing. You're helping your wife. You're helping her protect her heart. You're helping her protect her future. You're helping her live her dreams. That's a part of the role that you get to play in her life. Boaz also provides for her. He says, you know what? I'm going to look after you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm come and get some water. You'll see some more of what he does in just a minute. And then he also, he prays for her. Remember we read about that? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you for what you have done. I just want to say, ladies, you don't want to marry a man you can't pray with. It's just too important. You know, it's such a blessing to have somebody who you can just hold hands with and trust God together with. So what I'm showing you here is ladies, qualities that you can look for in a man. And men, I'm showing you qualities that we can develop and that we can express. Let's read on. Last verse for today, and then we're going to land the plane, okay? Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. I think this might be their first date. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. So not only is he feeding her with the bread, he's also giving her roasted grain, which is something you could eat as well. So she ate some of that, ate everything that she wanted, and she had some left over. She took this back to Naomi, and Naomi was overjoyed. And I think the picture here is obviously there's a blessing here, there's a provision, um, there's, there's a, a, you know, a generosity that's flowing here, but see God here, guys. See God here, church. See God here because God always does more. God is a God of more. He blesses us more. He sends us home with a doggy bag. We've got a to-go container. Why? Because he loves us that way. He cares about us that way. He's looking out for us. I got to tell you, one of the scariest things about being a teenage boy is the thought that you might go hungry. <laughs> Maybe you're not a teenage boy anymore, but you can remember, can't you? Being hungry. I'm sure these guys down here could eat a bit, hey? Are you hungry right now? What are you thinking about? What food are you thinking about right this minute? Pizza, tacos, yeah, amen. Okay, church is over, it's time to eat. I remember being a teenage boy, being so hungry and feeling like the worst possible thing would be to sit down to the dinner salad and mom say, we're having salad tonight, we're eating healthy. I'd be like, no. I can eat so much salad and still be hungry. I want something of, of substance. I, you know, I want, oh, don't give me soup. I don't want to drink my dinner. Seriously. Anyway, the point I'm making is that God looks after us in a way of abundance and gives us nourishment and satisfaction. You don't have to worry. God's got you. God is with you. God does more. I want you to have that image. And the reason why is because we are a lot like Ruth. I want you to think about that. We're a lot like Ruth, all of us. You know, she came from a, a sinful past and she had sinned against God with the, with the other Moabites. And the Bible says of us that we've all sinned and all fallen short of God's glory. There's a picture for us here. We're a lot like Ruth. We came empty-handed. Just like Ruth, she came empty-handed. 
The Bible says that, you know, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll return. In other words, everything I have is fleeting. It's gone. I'm empty-handed before God Almighty. And beyond that, my heart is deceitful. That's what the Bible says. I'm in a bad spot, and and yet God is so good to me. And everything we have, just like Ruth, we've gleaned from his provision. We've gleaned from the blessing of God. It's because of God's goodness that we have what we need. You know, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And some of you are saying, no, 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 I got this myself. I worked hard for this. I earned this. Yeah, well, Ruth was in the field too. But unless those harvesters left something behind, she wasn't going to have anything. And so she did. You see, God may give you the means to create wealth. God gives you the means to develop what you need for yourself. He's so good. He's the raw material giver. And you know what we see in here in this storyline, Boaz blessing Ruth more than she expected. She was blown away. And man, if we could just stop for a minute and think about how our God blesses us. Think about how much he's given to us, more than we deserve, grace upon grace upon grace, power for life, provision in in hard times, peace in the soul. Oh, we are in such debt to a God who gives us so much. He blesses us. And you know, this picture of Boaz inviting her to the table, isn't that what Jesus does to each one of us? He says, come on, come to my table. Come, come and find rest there. And more than that, he says, here, here's the bread. Here's the wine. Here's my very nature. I'm offering it to you. Take me in. Be nourished by me through the spirit and be made new. So I want to pray with you today. As our service comes to a close and we reflect on this chapter one, moving to chapter two kind of moment. Would you bow with me in prayer? And while we just take this moment to pray, I just, I have a few thoughts that are rolling around in my heart as I was readying myself for time with you today. And I do feel that there's some of you that have just felt like you've been stuck in Moab. You've just been in chapter one. It's pain upon pain. It's loss upon loss. It's confusion. It's disappointment. But I just sense, really, I sense from the Spirit that this is a turn-the-page kind of moment, that you can make a new start, that you can start again, that you can, even today, turn from Moab, return to Bethlehem. And when you turn away, you're going to find the blessing of God. It's waiting for you. So there's some of you that are here today, and you say, man, I'm just hurt. I feel stuck in the pain. Listen, turn the page. Yeah, but I'm caught in an addiction. I understand, but just turn the page. Could today be a chapter two day? Yeah, but I'm losing hope in God. Let's turn the page. It's time to turn the page. Battling depression, anxiety. Let's turn the page. Receive from the Lord. Receive his blessing. Receive his peace. Receive his provision, his healing, his love. He wants to surround you with his blessing. Even here in this room, full of so many people, God wants to surround you with his blessing. Receive that today. Feel his love. You know, it's so important that we know that whatever we're going through, God hears our prayers. He does hear and he does care. And so when you pray, God just so happens to show up with his providential power to bless you. 
Receive today. Receive from the Lord. Sit in his presence and receive from him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this amazing church family. And thank you for every individual and, and the various parts of the city, the various experiences, the various socioeconomic um, areas that they have come from today. All bringing themselves here. And now, Lord, we're here together before you. And we thank you, God, that at the cross it all becomes level. Because, Jesus, you've given your life for each of us. And we all need the same grace. We all need the same forgiveness. We all need the same spirit to empower us and to help us. And so we come, like the scriptures say, and we come and we drink from the same spirit. So today, Lord, as we pray, I just ask for those, Lord, who have felt like it's just been chapter one after chapter one after chapter one, Lord, would you, in a supernatural way, just give them hope that the page is finally being turned? God, I know that we're going to go tomorrow from this place and we're going to go to work and we're going to go to school and we're going to interact with family and we're going to have roommates and talk to them and we're going to have all kinds of challenges from, the, from getting on the bus to dealing with that, that person at work. And we just invite your providence into our ordinary lives. Your providence, Lord, God, would you use the natural circumstances to bring about your supernatural will in our lives? And we submit to that, and we welcome that in Jesus' name. And just continuing to pray for a minute. You might be here today, and you say, I need to make things right with God. I'm at a distance from God. I don't want to be. I want to be close to God. I want his mercy and forgiveness fresh today. I want to pray for you. And I just ask you, just lift up your hand and say, Andy, would you include me in that prayer? I just feel distance between me and God, and I want to be close. I just need him. Anybody else want to join those who are lifting their hands right now? Yeah, thank you for that. Let me just pray. Father, I just thank you for your capacity to bring us near. God, you're so faithful and you're so good, and you love us in such a beautiful and tender way. And so for these hands across the room, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come to them now in a very significant way. Just cover them, Lord, with a sense of your abiding presence. And Lord, if they feel this distance, God, may words come to them that would just express their repentance and their desire for closeness to you and more of you. And Lord, I thank you that you always respond to us as we draw near to you. So see these hands as an invitation to come near. And we welcome you, Jesus. And we pray all of these things together and we say thank you for your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. So our youth team is going to lead us one more time. Will you sing with them before you go? Why don't we stand to our feet? And may God bless you as you go. And I'm just so excited for the, the natural, supernatural of God in your life this week. Really. I think your natural circumstances are going to have supernatural providence all over them. So look for it. Love you, church.